Hello and welcome to A Beautiful Faith, where we give voice to all that makes faith beautiful. Henry, how are you? I'm doing great, Ryan. Round two is always fun. I don't believe you. <laughs> <laughs> um, we just did one take of this intro. It did not go well, so now we're doing take two. But uh, today we are joined by a, a awesome friend for both of us, Jaime Pombo, who is a pastor in Florida and uh, recently became a father, which is scary to all three of us. Um, and what I love about this episode is that all three of us are in different relationship stages. I am just in a relationship. Henry just got married and Jaime, how old is your, how old is your kid? He is 18 months. There we go. See three completely different stages of a relationship. This is amazing. Um, you can already tell how reckless I'm going to be, and we're going to see how tired and exhausted Jaime is by the, <laughs> by the fact that he's probably going to fall asleep <laughs> 10 minutes into this interview. Um, now, Jaime, thank you for joining us, man. I'm glad to have you here. My pleasure, sir. Thank you for uh, having me, definitely. It's, uh, it's an honor to uh, be here with you and Henry. Yeah, no, this is, uh, this is going to be a good talk. So for those who don't know, um, we do a mini series here called the return so far. We've done, we've had three guests plus the first three episodes contain my own story and, and Henry's story, but we like to share, um, stories of people's return to faith and what that looked like, whether that was from a period, uh, just a, just a dark period or a time where they just struggled with faith or, uh, a complete abandonment of faith. Uh, and what what that kind of looked like, but where most stories and most most times that people talk about this kind of thing, they tend to spend the majority of the time on what led them astray uh, and led them away. We try to focus more on what brought them back and how they navigated that. So um, we're going to hear from Jaime today, and um, I'm excited for this because Jaime was my camp counselor when I did summer camp back in like I was 13. Um, and what's wild is I'm 27 now. So what is that? 14 years ago. Um, 2006. So that would be 14 years ago. Yeah. Correct. Wow. Um, and out of our entire cabin, which was like 12 guys or something like that, 13 it was guys. 10. Was it, it was okay? 10. Yeah. Um, I'm the only one that remained active in faith, which is mm. wild mm. to think about because all of those guys were like my, like really, really close friends growing up. Um, some of them I had known since kindergarten at the time, and that was like the summer after seventh grade. So yeah, just just crazy to to think about how much has changed in those in those years. But um, and hopefully Jaime's not going to tell us that his his journey back to faith had to happen after he encountered you. Yeah, no, we we <laughs> one can only no. Actually, that's how that's where the story. You know, that's what got him back to faith. Ah, yes, well, encountering in, in, me. Interestingly enough, guys, though it was actually that summer. That was actually my only. Um, uh, summer working in summer camp. It happened to be Kalakwa. And um, that was right after I graduated. So that summer was the transition between uh, graduation and my first pastoral assignment in Mississippi. And so, uh, yeah, it was, uh, <clears throat> I know. And it was, it was something that, you know, I, I was approached by numerous people about, you know, hey, have you ever tried summer camp? Needless to know, I never thought about it. You know, I actually, in summer camp, I felt quite guilty for having too much fun. Um, and so, but uh, it, it was a really awesome experience. And of course, you know, Ryan was, a, was, one of the, was one of the good kids. And so it was really, it was really a cool experience. Yeah, no, I was uh, really grateful for, for that time. And that was a good week, despite my numerous health issues that week as well. Um, I remember uh, I would love to forget. Um, so, uh, Jaime, we're going to hear your story and, um, I'd love to just, uh, ask this question right off the bat, but can you give us just a little bit of background on, um, on kind of your faith journey and, and, you know, growing up, what that looked like and, or just anytime I don't, Henry and I, it's a mystery as far as what you're going to talk about to us today. So sure. really kind of just give us some background into whatever part of your story you're wanting to tell. Absolutely. Well, um, unlike mm, most of uh, people here that are in the Adventist church, I actually did not grow up Adventist to begin with. So um, when I came into the church, it was funny because I was 18 years old and I came from a situation in uh, where um, I was really searching. And the reason why I was searching is because I had gotten from uh, an anti 
uh, well, I should say, and shouldn't say that way, but I had gone from a really bad situation in my high school where I graduated from, dealt with a lot of bullying in a lot of ways, but I was looking for something different, not necessarily something spiritual, but something different. So coming into Adventism, it wasn't something that I had necessarily planned. It was more along the lines of, okay, let's kind of give this a shot. You know, I know there's a God, at least I always you know, because I grew up Roman Catholic, like most Hispanics, but I know that there's a God and I know that, um, you know, that, you know, he's almighty, he's all powerful, but I don't know if he really cares about anything that I have to say. Turns out that um, it was actually in Florida and in Orlando specifically where I um, first encountered the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And it was through your typical, you've probably heard it before, um, your typical uh, series. And then afterwards, coming into Christianity in general. Um, uh, I, I didn't know necessarily what it meant to be a Christian. I actually just kind of watched people around me and just kind of, okay, so he's doing it this way and he's doing it that way. And, you know, you try to kind of encompass your own experience. At the end of the day, obviously you had to realize that you had to make your own experience and not necessarily base it out of, but, you know, at that time I didn't really have any guidance. So that's kind of sort of what I did until eventually, you know, I decided, okay, well, you know, this is, okay, that person has a cool relationship with Jesus and that person has a cool relationship with Jesus. And I kind of want to be like that. But then obviously, obviously you realize you need your own relationship with Jesus. And, you know, that guy's Jesus is good. That guy's Jesus is good, but I want my own Jesus kind of deal. So that was kind of like the, the gist of it, of course, um, uh, becoming a pastor was not really also part of the plan. It's just something that, you know, as I went through the journey, uh, I really personally believe that the Lord made it really, um, uh, clear for me. And as he kept opening the doors, so it's been a journey for sure. Uh, and you know, here we are, let me see, 20 years later after I got baptized and gave my heart to Christ. Wow. Wow. And I, now I'm here doing the podcast with you guys. Now, I mean, wow. I, I can imagine it's quite a journey because as something you've said, I want to follow up with just as a segue into that. For those of you who don't know <clears> what, <throat> what he means by series, uh, it's it, think about if you're old enough to remember a lot of churches would put tents up or they would have people in their facilities, kind of like revivals like the Baptists and Methodists do once a year, kind of like hometown revivals or tent meetings. And in the Seventh-day Adventist Church, which the three of us are are a part of, they had something called evangelistic series. And what those tended to be were actually rather intense things. I can't imagine it like 18 or whatever, you going through this. They tend to be like, especially back then, they would have been like six, seven, or eight weeks long of coming out yeah. like four or five nights a week to listen to a preacher talk about last day events or Bible topics of, of various forms. And it for like two hours at a time. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I'd be very curious. You said you were kind of searching. This wasn't something you were really going for. I, I'd, I'd be fascinated. What was it about this meeting or whatever that drew you in? Because especially in that time, if it's anything like when I was younger, I mean, the way they tried to get people was a lot of scary imagery and like pamphlets of like weird looking creatures on them and stuff that looked like Photoshop hit, you know, it was before Photoshop, like somebody had really been tripping on acid when they designed it. So I'm just, I'm just curious, how did you come into that and then choose to go through that intensive a study system to find God? Sure, absolutely. Well, it started with, um, uh, at that time, I actually was living in, and Ryan will know very well about this, I was living in Apopka, Florida. And I I had just, um, I had just moved from my country to to the US. So looking for something different. um, uh, I since I was staying in at at that time, I was it was called um, Post Lake Apartments, and I think now called Barrington Apartments. And so, uh, which is right in front of Forest Lake Academy. And so Forest Lake Academy, at that time, they were holding a series in the gym with uh, a very famous evangelist in the Hispanic world called Alejandro Bullon. Mm-hmm. You've probably heard about yeah. him. And so, um, you know, with him, it was actually, it was no PowerPoints. It was no, 
um, imagery or anything like that. It was just a very inspiring message, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and then from there, it was something just different for me personally, because when he was preaching for some reason, I had sensed something that I had never sensed before. I have noticed something that I have not noticed before. And I didn't grow up very religious, very spiritual. In fact, you know, uh, I dreaded going to mass on Sundays personally. Uh, it, it was just something for me that it just did not, it, and nothing wrong with that, of course. But I'm just saying that this is because it was shoved down for me personally. It wasn't something that, um, uh, that because it was part of, of who, of how I grew up, it wasn't something that I necessarily enjoyed going. In fact, my parents never really enjoyed me and, and never really encouraged me to go necessarily. Hmm. Um, so, but then coming over here, it was just a very inspiring message. And that message itself was something that um, uh, I remember the, the preacher made the altar call and, you know, I was like, well, I, I don't see a reason and I, I don't respond to those things, granted. And I don't see a reason why I shouldn't go up. So, you know, it was, it was something for me that was so different. It was so um, life-changing. Even at that very moment, I knew something was going to change. And so, sure enough, um, from there, started receiving Bible studies, of course. Um, things about, you know, different subjects. And, uh, you know, very, very basic, of course. And I eventually uh, ended up getting baptized. And so, praise the Lord, afterwards, you know, went to uh, Southern Adventist University. And, hey, the journey continued there. Mm. Oh, you threw yourself in like the deep it. end. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Alejandro Bullon is like a legend in the Adventist church. Um, but it, I, I'm, it's just weird hearing, hearing this just because, like, Forest Lake Academy was my high school. Um, basically, where the majority of my childhood and, and high school years, like, revolved around um and even college to some extent because my mom worked there for several years and so growing up like i'd end up there after school if you know she couldn't take me home immediately and um then obviously i went to high school when she was the principal there like it, there was for me there was no escape from that place um and so you referencing apopka and it just takes me right back home and i loved it when i was there like i'm not when i say there's no escape i'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing but it's just cool for me to just kind of walk down that little nostalgia trip. Um, but that's awesome. So, so going from there, what, um, what were, what were some of the things or what, what took place that put you in a, in a position where you felt you needed to kind of rebuild or, or return? Like what, where was there a downturn or have we already talked about the downturn? Like, was that, was that the downturn? And then no, you coming no. to the meeting was the good thing. Well, you know, for obviously life is, uh, has ups and downs and, um, you know, in the journey itself, you know, once, once I said yes to Jesus then I said, okay, well, here we go. You know, uh, sink or swim, I'm sink or swim. I'm diving in basically. And mm -hmm. so, um, you know, I decided to go full throttle. I decided to just go. And so my first two part of the journey, of course, was at Southern. Southern Adventist University, but um, my first two years, it was my first, it was basically my first time exposing um, myself to these things. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm here to learn. Uh, I, you guys might find this funny, but at first when I thought that I was going to Southern, I thought I was first going to a monastery. <laughs> and so, because, yeah, because I, you know, I was like, okay, well, you know, they have rules. And well, I mean, I would expect that they would have rules, but you know, and if they, they have a boys dorm and if you have the girls dorm, of course, you know, uh, when I heard about, you know, other door, other universities that have co-ed dorms and this and that, but, um, Vespers programs, the, um, the curriculums of the different, uh, departments and classes, you know, so I didn't know what to expect in a lot of ways. So, uh, my first two years, uh, definitely had a lot of ups and downs, but, I became, uh, as, as I was observing, I became more spiritually hungry, but I even found out that in a Christian environment, you really cannot, um, at least in my case, you really cannot find that fulfillment until you go fully in. And this is where um, I actually decided to uh, go overseas and become a student missionary. 
And so mm. when I was a student missionary, I was there for a full school year. I would say that's probably one of the rebuild. That was the first time that I said that, that I would sense that, um, that rebuilding, uh, being a missionary, you know, when you go out there and you serve and, you know, even though obviously when you go out to the mission field, uh, the viewpoints are, um, naturally conservative, of course. And so, but even then at that different environment where you are just absolutely forced to depend on God, to depend on Christ, to depend on Jesus. And so you realize that, hey, you know, there is a lot of joy in service. There's a lot of joy in helping people because I always knew that I wanted to help people in some way, shape or form. Um, So that was probably the first part of the rebuilding is actually that time where I really felt the call to be a minister. And so then um, when I came back, I said, okay, God, you know, when you called me to be a minister, when I sensed that you called me to be a minister, you know, if you want me to do something else, I'm good. Seriously, we can, I'm not going to complain if you don't call me to be a pastor. (laughs) Um, But it turns out that, you know, I mean, every single door kept opening up, opening up, opening up. And I said, okay, God, this is where you have to come in and really make it so clear because the last thing I, I the last thing I saw myself doing was being a pastor, was being a minister. But today, here we are, and so the journey started back in 2006 when, like you mentioned, Ryan, you know, I graduated from Southern. I got a call to Gulf States uh, back in uh, Mississippi, and uh, before that, I was your your camp counselor, of course, in uh, two thousand, um, and that was a transition point. And then from there, I would say my pastoral journey you know, going from uh, Southern Adventist University where, you know, you had all these wonderful programs and stuff. And then you go to Mississippi where I had probably three churches. um, uh, And then they added a fourth Spanish church. Uh, That in itself was a, a very good yet very challenging experience. At that time, um, my closest church was 30 minutes from where I lived. My farthest mm. church was three hours. And so, wow. um, uh, you know, that, that in itself, it taught me a lot. So this dependence on God is something that, you know, you know, like, um, you know, that with Job, God allows, well, of course, this is a perception, of course, but, you know, God allows you to go through some things so that you can really appreciate uh you know, later on the other good things that are basically about to come your way and the growth that you go through, um, you know, mm-hmm. no, no, going through the fire doesn't seem pleasant at all at the moment, but later on you do, you do see yourself as refined, as more mature, more pure, et cetera, et cetera. So it was definitely a, a good journey. Um, from there, of course, serving there three years, went through Andrews University, uh, got the MDiv over there. Um, that's where I met my wife, of course, and then, um, you know, came back to Alabama and I, and I guess I'm, you know, you guys can stop me here, by the way, where, wherever I need to. Yeah. I was, I, I was going to jump back cause there's a, there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, yeah. I, I, I want to go back to first, cause maybe our listeners are wondering, or at least I'm, I'll be selfish. I'm a host. I can do this. I'm wondering, you mentioned going to the mission field, but you never told us where, so, oh yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm sure we're all dying to know. Okay, where did you go? And then I want to throw in. I appreciate you jumping in. Yeah, and and, and I want to I want to throw another question related to that that hopefully can kind of link sure. everything we were saying. Uh, you mm-hmm. said you went to the mission field, and obviously it, it. You said a statement. You said it was kind of more conservative, which I'm just going to go ahead and interpret that as as being they probably had views a bit more restrictive than what you personally had. Uh, you know, because obviously there's spectrums of how we all view things. We all think people are either more conservative or more liberal than us. It, it, it depends on where you're mm-hmm. at. But I'll be curious, mm-hmm. where, first of all, so a couple questions. Where did you go? Two, what were you yes. doing while you were there? Three, mm-hmm. what was your biggest struggle while you were there? And then once you answer that, the fourth one I'm very curious about is when you get sent to the middle of Mississippi as a Latino, fresh pastor with four yeah. churches— did you find the same issue that you had in this country, wherever that mission field country was again, happening Mm -hmm. at a time where you might've thought I've gone to school. I did this mission service. I'm depending on God. I shouldn't have to deal with this again. Did you find the exact Mm -hmm. same thing quote domestically as you found foreignly? So I know that's a big chunk and I can remind you when we get there, but 
Take it away. Sure, sure. So, well, okay. So I went to Guyana, South America. Uh, really? Not to be confused with not to be not to be confused with Ghana, by the way. I've been to Ghana. Ga- I, I went to Guyana myself for some work, so that's very fascinating to me. Now I have a connection where, with where, you. Where, well, where in Guyana did you go? Yeah, I was over on the border with Dutch Suriname, or gotcha. down down. I can't remember the name of the river now. It was a really creepy river, but you know, is it, is it the Camarang River? It, it might be, yeah, because I had to take a bus for like four hours from Georgetown all the way over to get the that boat. To the east, that sounds about right. Whatever, and then ride the river down to an Amerindian village somewhere deep down mm-hmm. in the the brush there. But anyway, yeah, no, I was there in. Um, so the way that we did it was we, um, uh, me and about four or five other uh, student missionaries, we uh, flew to Georgetown, and then from Georgetown, um, we first went to the um, village of Kimbia, which was in Region Two. And over there, that's where you take the boat. And it was like a 24-hour boat ride. Yeah, through the night. And so you had to, yeah, through the night, of course. Um, uh, you know, that's where we started. We were there for two weeks to kind of, you know, separate the, um, what do you call it, the assignments and everything. We came back to Georgetown. And then from there, I actually, uh, with uh, with two other student missionaries, we went to, the, and this is where I spent most of my um, mission experience, was in Parima the village of Parima, which was in region seven. I would say that that's towards, to south. that's towards Brazil down in the more towards yeah, Brazil. Yeah. It's actually, it's, it actually, it, it's, it's, it's South West of Guyana where you could, uh, where it would border with Brazil and with Venezuela. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So then, um, in this area, you know, so this was a very life changing. It was a very hard year, but it was also a very life changing year. Uh, what we did over there, we actually, we were teaching um, at a school called uh, the David in- Davis Indian Industrial College. So we would teach in the morning, you know, some, uh, you know, uh, basic subjects like math and uh, Bible and all that kind of stuff. And I was put to be the Bible teacher. And then in the afternoon, we would do more of the um, industrial type of teachings. You know, we would offer things like, uh, uh, like, um, like biology mechanics, that kind of thing, carpentry, more of the hands-on practical type of stuff. Mm. Um, so I, we would help with that. Um, and in that experience, uh, I was the boys dean. Um, I was also, you know, you basically, whatever you are put to, um, to do, you just do it. So I ended up being doing, I ended up doing random things like being the Bible teacher. Well, the Bible teacher wasn't really random, but other things like being the choir director, that was random. Um, <laughs> being, um, what do you call it? You know, assistant to the carp, uh, to carpentry, which was, you know, that you learned a lot through that, you know, we would go to the farm to, um, pick up our, basically our food. You know, we would grow a lot of cassava over there and other fruits and season. So it was very, um, you know, you realize that, you know, going from a place where you had your car with AC and Taco Bell around the corner and then going over there where, you know, there's none of that. And you have to go down to the river to, you know, bathe and brush your teeth and wash your clothes all in the same water, by the way. Yeah. Were there piranhas um, in that river? You know, not in that river. Okay. Cause not in, cause the, not in that. Yeah. Cause where I was, they were like, well, you probably should bathe in this little pool thing here because they, they're yeah. like, there was piranhas in the river. And I was like, oh, great. You know, when we were in the other village, um, there were piranhas in that river. Mm. Um, and, uh, um, and I remember that there were, uh, there were people that would actually take the piranha teeth out of the piranha and then just show them to you. Yeah. It's like, yeah, this is the little souvenir that I got. Um, but anyway, so then, uh, so that's, that was a, that was a really good year. It's an unforgettable year for me personally. Um, and then get back to me with the other questions. Henry. Yeah. The, the next question, what was the, what was the biggest struggle you had there? Cause you mm-hmm. said, you know, I mean, you learn a lot obviously, but there's always some difficult thing you're adjusting to, whether that's like you said, kind of our, our Western comforts are left behind. Yeah. But that was probably the main one. Yeah. I mean, cause that was, that was hard for me, but I think like when I was there, one of the more difficult things for me was I was dealing, I was in this close proximity without all of these comforts and everything with a group of people that I theologically didn't see eye to eye with. Mm-hmm. And, and that created a lot of struggle for me. So I, I just wasn't sure where was, I mean, maybe you didn't have a big one, 
So maybe I was just, I, I don't want to be no, fishing I, for I, it, but I, I didn't know what no, was, it's, what it's was okay, the big man. thing. What was the big struggle that you might've faced while you were there? Cause I was leading, maybe leading the witness. I was trying to see if that same thing came up when you started pastoring in the middle of Mississippi. Yeah, I gotcha. I gotcha. No, no. I mean, this is your podcast, so you can dig whatever you want and I'm an open book. So no worries. Um, no, my biggest struggle was definitely, you know, like you said, that comfort part, um, you know, going from that to um, basically, you know, having limited, limited amounts of food and, um, you know, uh, having to walk everywhere, for example, instead of, uh, uh, you know, driving your car um, where shoes were a luxury, any type of shoes, you know, so people would actually go barefoot to church. Um, and, uh, tennis mm-hmm. shoes or, 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 soccer cleats or all that kind of stuff. Those are all luxuries for sure. Um, it, it makes you appreciate obviously what you're, I know it's your typical story of like, Hey, you know, we, uh, we have, we're so spoiled over here and we have yeah, everything but that we I, need over here. I don't know. I think there's something to be said about the fact that you just joined this like denomination a couple of years prior to that. Right. Like, like you're very much still a, an infant in regards to Very much so. this expression Absolutely. of faith. And now, not o- so not only is all of this faith experience kind of a stranger to you in, in, its, in, in this current form or expression, but also now you've also given up every normal comfort of life that you're used to. Like, for you, that's a much bigger jump, in my opinion, than for mm-hmm. someone who grew up in a denomination and decided to give a year to serve abroad. Right, or... In, yeah. and at least in Adventism, it, it's not necessarily expected that one do that, say, unlike the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, where it's kind of a rite of passage, where you go give your two years of, of mission or whatever. So you would have to make a very conscious decision. I'm going to go give a year of my life to, to go propagate this thing I'm now part of. Yo, you say right. that, but like, just quick aside, I've been starting to get friend requests from LDS missionaries that now just apparently are here in my town or like, or I don't know if they live here or if they're just here for their mission work. All I know is apparently the new door knocking is adding people on Facebook and Dude. I'm not here to like, I'm not trying to trash a denomination or anything. Like that's not, that's not what I'm doing here. I'm just saying like, I don't like that. Oh, well, <laughs> that's specifically it's, it's funny. You said that because I just recently moved and within like three days of moving, I got a friend request from a guy. I was like, who is this? And then he introduced himself that he was with the the Latter-day Saints Church as well. And he was like, hey, do you have any questions about the area and whatever? And I was like, how did you know? I, I was kind of creepy. I was like, how did you know I'm here? <laughs> like, how, how do you know wow. I just moved? So, you know, I mean, he was very nice. So I was just like, no, yeah. I'm good. Well, interesting, interestingly enough, guys, no, actually, I don't have a story like that. So no, don't worry. But um, no, but honestly, for me going into that dive, it was something that um, I'll be honest. I never really thought of doing when I told my my parents, "Hey, I want to go out there to be a missionary." They were like, "Why?" You know, it was just something that to them was just foreign, and you know, um, and interest. In, and I'll tell you this part though: um, uh, while I was a missionary, I um, and I'll just go ahead and say it, but I almost actually passed away. I almost died because um, well, I actually... Well, we buried that lead. I'm going to say glad yeah. we if went Henry back. If Henry had never gone back, we would have never... <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I almost died because um, Henry, uh, you know that in Guyana, it's very um, known for um, malaria. Yes. And so I actually got bitten by the mosquito. Oh, wow. And yeah, and it was awful. It was absolutely awful. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm talking about, you know, I... You know, I went, we were in another village and then all of a sudden I see two mosquito bites. So I'm hoping that, you know, it's not too bad. But then two weeks later after the mosquito was incubated and all that kind of stuff, um, I started feeling really, um, really weak. I started feeling very, um, uh, you know, like I, I, a lot of loss of appetite. All of a sudden my fever went up to 105, by the way. And so, yeah, it was, it was brutal guys. I was hallucinating and, and I, I honestly thought I was going to die. Like I, like it did some serious brain damage. Um, and so like, uh, it, 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 I was probably in that position for about four days. And of course your family um, can't know, cause I'm sure where you are, there isn't no, good communication. Well, well, the, thing, well, 
well back then back then yeah. we the the most effective way of communicating was ham radio mm. and so you know there was and a, there don't was, eat pork so there was no way that was going to happen yeah <laughs> thank you everyone wow you're trying to henry to a pun yeah, I yeah. Henry wait, to a pun. way to root it out of the story yes by the way, I said hem, but you know, whatever. <laughs> no, I don't care. It was worth it. He, he can't oh, hear. Boy. <laughs> so um, my family didn't know until I actually came back to the U.S. And um, when I came back, I had lost a lot of weight, of course, due to that. Um, so they probably thought this church some... was killing you. <laughs> yeah. They're like, why'd you go there? And I told them, no, it was the best year of my life. So that, they, they, that didn't make sense to them, of course. <laughs> you really did get brain but, damage. Yeah. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> but, um, you know, uh, I, they gave me some really strong um, medicine, which actually was the, uh, uh, with the whole coronavirus thing going on. Hydroxychloroquine or whatever? Yes, yeah. it was actually that one. And so, and man, that was, I don't know what, I don't know what was worse, having malaria or having to take that. So that was, mm. that was awful. It was absolutely awful. But then afterwards, got it out of my system. And yeah, I mean, um, I was very, uh, when I came back, I was on fire for the Lord. Um, you know, fast forward to when I went to Mississippi. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. I went to Mississippi and um, I was wondering how a Hispanic pastor was going to be in Mississippi. And to be quite honest with you, do you still I, wonder? <laughs> I, in some ways, I kind of still mm. do because, um, you know, the people that were there, they took me in. There was, uh, you know, a bit of prejudice, of course, and I, I did mm -hmm. feel it, um, and, you know, being uh, a little darker skinned um, and with a mainly uh, Caucasian congregation, of course. Uh, but you know, for me, I'll be honest and maybe, I don't know if this was the right way to do it or not, but I just chose for that not to bother me, if that makes any sense. And I just trucked along, you know, and I just said, okay, this is what I'm doing. If you guys want to come along, great. If not, you can continue warming your pew. Mm. And so, um, it, it took a while, especially at the beginning, but, uh, little by little, I was able to gain the respect of a lot of the people that were over there. And praise the Lord, you know, we actually still keep in touch to this day hmm. with a That's lot of awesome. them. So, you know, I'm actually, uh, I was very grateful for that. I was definitely well, very grateful for that. And, and I do think there, um, I just pushed my mic away from me, but I do think there's something that is... Um, that's worth kind of clarifying for listeners too, because the way that pastoring works in Adventism is kind of different than the way it works outside of Adventism, which is that if, if you belong to most other denominations, you're probably used to a church operating kind of as an independent business that would hire its own pastor, right? It would, it would do its own search. It would interview its own people and it would hire. Unless in you're Adventist one of the church. reformed traditions like Presbyterians or Anglicans. Yes. Methodism. Correct. Yeah. Um, the, the way that it works in Adventism is that, uh, all churches in a given, typically it's a state, but a state sized area, um, uh, are under the kind of guidance or, or, um, under the jurisdiction is a better word there of a, of a conference. Um, and the conference level, there's a ministerial director, um, and ministerial team that handles kind of the, the pastoral assignments as well as personnel committee from the conference. So technically as a pastor in the Adventist church, you're a, you're an employee of the conference and the church is technically property owned by the conference. Um, and so your bosses are not your congregants. That being said, enough of them call and complain about you. You've got, a, you've got another issue, but um, so when, when he talks about his first assignment or first, and, and when he says that, you know, he was pastoring three churches, um, that's pretty typical, um, especially starting out as a pastor. Yeah, like is, is that you would you would be given multiple churches to pastor, and they're typically small, and they're typically used to having their congregation do a lot more of the the heavy lifting when it comes to the day to day life of the church, and the pastor's just kind of there to help oversee things and help guide the church in a general direction. Yeah, um, we're kind so yeah, of a, that's we're just kind a of quick a, background on that. We're kind of a blend of Presbyterians and Methodism. 
So just like Methodists have a pastor assigned for a couple years and then go, the pastor kind of comes from the denomination, but the denomination also like Presbyterianism owns the property and the buildings and, and kind of runs it that way. So, yeah. Um, so what, I guess coming, coming out of that, coming out of Andrews and, 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 and pastoring this, like what was, what was something that really, really, what, I I guess what in the last, let's just say five to six years, what in the last five to six years has been really the, the biggest difficulty for you, whether that's been in your faith, in ministry, whatever, like what has been the thing that that has really challenged you and and made you maybe potentially question like what you're doing? You know, I've had those moments for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, actually, and these, and this is actually the part where I wanted to uh, eventually get to, because this is uh, me sharing my, my most recent experience. Well, uh, moving to Florida has been, uh, it definitely has had it, uh, its ups and downs, of course, but it's been particularly challenging, not because we moved to Florida, but um, because of the events that happened while we were here. We know when we got here to Florida, my wife was pregnant and um, we knew that uh, the Lord has really uh, blessed us with, with a small little one. Um, mm when our little one was born, uh, by the way, his name is Joshua, the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Um, after pregnancy, after, you know, my wife's recovery was, um, it, it took a lot longer than what we thought. In fact, uh, you know, usually, you know, what should have taken about six weeks, it ended up taking about six months. And so all with the stresses of a new church, a much bigger church, by the way, makes you kind of, uh, made, made you kind of, uh, you know, miss a little bit of the smaller churches and the small church atmosphere and whatnot. But, um, during that time where, you know, seeing somebody you love so much in that intense amount of pain, you know, my wife had a C-section and there was other complications with Mm. that, but seeing somebody with uh, such intense amount of pain was something that was very um, detrimental, uh, you know, to my own soul, just simply because, you know, I, you know, you always wonder, okay, you, you know, you wonder how it actually feels as a man. And it's something that you're never going to feel. So seeing somebody that you love suffer so much is, uh, it's something that was quite challenging, you know, Uh, and during those times we were going through our little Job experience of, you know, where, where are you, God? And, you know, even getting to the point of, of, of saying things like, you know, God doesn't even love us, you know, because mm-hmm. we're going through something like this. Um, for me, yes, it was a time that was very challenging because, you know, there, there was a few times where I had a few meltdowns, a few breakdowns, and I actually thought about quitting the ministry. You know, I had to take care of my wife. I had to take care of my son. And I had to take care of the church. Well, you know, I, I knew I was so overwhelmed that I felt that I couldn't do all three. So one of them had to give. And the one that had to give was a no-brainer. But at the same time, um, you know, you kind of had to wonder how all of this played out and all that. But uh, I, I will tell you this, you know, going through something like that for us was extremely traumatic to the point, guys, that we um, went to therapy. And mm. in a lot of ways, we're still going to therapy. And I, I'm going to tell you something right now. I am a huge, huge proponent of counseling. Good. So are we. I'm going to say you, you managed to get our once an episode plug for it in for us. So thank yeah, you. We, we talk about therapy literally every episode. And we have an really? episode completely dedicated to talking about the impact and importance of therapy. I cannot emphasize how important therapy is, guys. In fact, I'll, 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 be, I'll even be honest with you right now. I'm actually... Uh, going to be getting therapy very soon myself. You know, I mean, you kind of go through therapy and then you stop and then you kind of, you know, kind of go at it again kind of deal. But um, uh, I, therapy is something that, you know, we, we just cannot over spiritualize our problems. You know, you, you realize that you do need somebody to talk to, you get a different perspective, you know, a third party, and um, that in itself is something that once you get a different perspective and a different outlook 
you realize that everything that you were built to see, you just all of a sudden you see it differently. You know, it's almost like everything just kind of crumbles and then rebuilds. Mm. And it's scary. It's very scary because you know you're you're used to doing things a certain way. And now all of a sudden it's like that way that you've been doing it all this time is uh, completely shattered. Hey, guess what? You're in a new phase of life. Let's get rid of this block right here. Boom. You know, whether before you're trying to, I guess, you know, fit, uh, how does, how does that expression go? Fit a a square peg into a round hole. Mm -hmm. Now you're just trying to just like, Oh, okay. You know, let's like take that and reshape it. And Hey, now it goes in smoothly and it makes sense. So we're, I mean, my wife and I, we both have been going and it is something we, I'll tell you, I mean, I've met people that are like, we say, oh yeah, we've been going to counseling. They're like, what the heck's wrong with you? You're so weird. And I'm like, uh, I am totally not ashamed of that. It is something that I think everybody should get. So. Mm. No, that's, that's awesome. And I'm at, I'm actually, I would say with my counselor, um, I, I started counseling probably a month and a half, two months ago. Um, and doing it in line with trying to get some issues with my low back figured out and, Literally Friday. This you Friday, still have getting, those low back issues from camp. Wow. Yep. That's that's what I wanted to forget. I remembered at the, while I was introducing you about the night that my low back locked up, but that has uh, nothing to do with this specific. Mm-hmm. Um, I, with it, today. Was just, it was just a memory. Nope. It's that was a bad night. Um, the <laughs> it was a bad night for all of us. Um, no, I um. I, I'm kind of in that break da- breaking down phase where I'm having to like my style of dealing with a lot of things really was avoiding it. Um, and I knew that all along. The problem is the reason I avoided it wasn't because necessarily I didn't want to deal with it. It was because I didn't have the tool. Like I didn't feel like I knew what to do about it or like how to how to deal with it. Now I'm learning the tools, which has already come in handy. And now I'm facing the fact that I don't want to do it. Um, and, and starting that breaking down process, like now that that's where the fear is. So I, I hear that very, very loud and clear when mm-hmm. I'm in that. And, and Henry has shared stories with me of, of his experience of where the breakdown actually was happening. Yeah, <laughs> um, absolutely. So yeah, yeah, all of us have been there. All right. Yeah. And that was one of the biggest things for my emotional well being with therapy as well is it, it's not even sometimes that you're not aware of what the issue is. That the problem is, is that we don't have the tools to appropriately address it. Mm-hmm. So you're just oh. you're you're just grasping at straws, or we come up with really bad coping mechanisms that we think, well, this deals with it, and all it does is just keep pushing it down. It's like kicking a can down the road, and then you come back up on it, and you go, mm-hmm. oh no, no, I can't do it, and you kick it again, and you're like, okay, okay, and then it comes right back, and you kick it, you know, and so that that's one of the biggest things that was helpful for me in 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 therapy, obviously, is is the realization that you don't have to keep going through this cycle. It's not that this stuff goes away, but you now can manage it in a healthy, productive way, right? It's not mm-hmm. that my insecurities disappear overnight. Oh, look, I have this cool formula. It's done. No, mm-hmm. my insecurities are still there, but now I'm not controlled by them. And that's yep, that, that's, exactly. the, that's the difference. They're still there, but I go, oh, that's what's happening right now. Pause, breathe. Let, let's Let's try yep. this instead. Because the oh, last yeah. 12 times didn't work so well. So, Absolutely. Well, you know, for me, guys, uh, you know, the first time that um, uh, my wife and I went to therapy was actually as a dating couple. And, um, you know, people ask me, oh, you know, it was, was that premarital counseling? I was like, no, that was uh, pre-engagement counseling. Like, we were just dating, literally. And I'll be the first one to tell you that um, if it wasn't for that, counseling that we had while we were dating, we would have never gotten married. Um, in fact, in our experience, our dating relationship was actually quite rocky overall. Um, and uh, But that with counseling, with therapy, with the tools that you learn, we were able, like you said, Henry, to figure out, hey, you know what? The main thing that it makes you figure out is, okay, why do I do the things that I do? Where does it come from? Okay, now that you know where it comes from, it doesn't, like you said, it doesn't have to be that way. You actually have the power to choose for it not to control you. You actually have the power to choose to 
you know, react to it differently because it's called, let me see, mm, oh yeah, growing up. And so because of that, these are just things that um, I think that uh, helps us to uh, evolve. And I believe that the Lord puts, um, you know, therapy in our pathway so that we can actually become more uh, solidified and mature Christians, mm-hmm. you know, so that we can be better for um, uh, not just the people around us, but especially the people that live with us. So, because they're the ones that really mainly carry all of the, all of that burden. So they're the ones that yep. see you and your absolute best. They're the ones that see you in your absolute worst. They're the ones that, you know, have, um, you know, celebrated the most wonderful victories. They're the ones that, you know, have seen you basically cry on the bathroom floor. And so these are all things that to me, I just think it's so important to be in touch with. And uh, I mean, I cannot emphasize that enough. So yeah, obviously therapy would be one of the things that's been very key to your reconstructive journey. Uh, but oh, but would, there, would there be anything else that mm-hmm. you'd want our listeners to know that comes from your story, whether in pastoring or the mission field or, or with, Absolutely, your, with, no. with your family, is there anything else that was really helpful to you? Are, are you found sure. very growth, you know, inducing on that reconstructive journey? I believe that the Lord really puts in our path what we uh, need. Obviously, you know, you need to know what you're, you need to find out. You need to be searching, of course, that's really what I mean. Um, uh, it, Obviously, like I said, this is just me and every pastor does it differently. For me, I have to do uh, some key things every single day to kind of keep going. You know, the first thing that I do every morning, as cliche as it sounds, is that I pray and I read my Bible. You know, I I, I have to, um, you know, not that basically reading my Bible and praying is going to, you know, be the magic potion for the day to go great. No, it's more of like, hey, you know, that's my catalyst for everything else that goes on throughout the day. You know, reading a chapter or two in the Bible, reading some books along with that. Um, uh, and so these are just things that uh, for me set that precedence for the rest of the day. Um, exercise for me is huge, 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 mm-hmm. huge. You know, um, when you're a pastor and, you know, of a 600 member church and then you have 600 problems coming at you. Uh, there's got to be a way to blow off steam. There's got to be a way to <laughs> to really uh, get rid of all of that. So for me, I mean, I'm a huge exercise fan. You know, I alternate between, you know, doing cardio, lifting weights and playing soccer. Um, and it's something, you know, it's not just something, oh, you know, I have to do this in order to do that. You know, I actually want to enjoy what I'm doing as well, as far as exercise goes, so that I can actually keep it as a routine. And that is my way to just, and of course, eating right. Or at least doing mm. the best that I can to eat right, of course, you know, I mean, uh, uh, making sure that um, I use food as fuel, not as a source of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Pleasure. Of, re- of reward. Ah. So, yeah. So these, you know, just some of these three, some of these things, um, you know, and of course, uh, spending that time with family. Now, I'm not just a husband. Now I'm a father. And I'm learning to be a father. And, you know, the more I go through, the more I realize how much I don't know. So, you know, doing these things um, on a consistent basis, I would say, are definitely a big part of the reconstruction. Uh, And to keep going and to actually um, keep moving forward, give you that purpose. Hmm. No, that's, that's incredibly powerful. And well, it's I, basic. I know it's basic and you know, it, it doesn't matter. Like to me, basic is like, I, I feel like in the same way that you were more grateful for the things that you experienced, you know, for things you had back home when you were, when you were serving abroad. Absolutely. Um, I think that like remi- remembering the basics, like that is something that you forget to be appreciative of. Right. Like, oh, and it's not until you've lost that or lost the kind of the magic or, or the, you know, you've, you've, you've taken your eye off the ball a little bit um, that you realize that it's the basics. Like there's a reason why basketball players focus on learning free throw or like practicing their free throws for hours and hours and hours. There's a reason why all the warmups and training drills are the same every time. Like it's, it's because it's the basics. If you can't dribble a ball, you can't like, you're not going to get it from one end of the court to the other. 
Um, and the other guy is practicing just as hard, if not harder than you to do, to do the same thing. So mm -hmm. it's without the basics, we don't get anywhere. And, and, um, yeah, we, we end up stagnant. So I think there is a lot of, there's a lot of power in remembering the basics. And mm -hmm. I think there's a lot to, um, there's a lot to apply in the basics because, you know, whoever's listening to this, they don't have to. You know, I don't I don't think they have to have the same basics as you, but I think understanding or even just taking some time to remember why you're in this to begin with, right? Absolutely. Like why you identify as a Christian or why you why you are chasing after a God that is chased after you or <laughs> why are you why are you back on this journey? What are those core Absolutely. reasons? Because those are those are everything. Oh, yeah. You have to find what keeps you going. Mm -hmm. And so. You know, uh, whatever that fuel is to keep you going, um, you know, for some people might be, it might not be exercise. I mean, I can't personally think of something, you know, but, uh, you know, I, I've heard of other people that for some reason, uh, you know, for, for them is something like, well, I shouldn't say that yoga is a type of exercise, right? And, you know, meditation, that kind of thing, um, you know, uh, they, they find, um, you know, being more sociable that's kind of what keeps them going although in this era it's a lot more difficult of course with our social distancing um for you know and i've heard many different many different people that do many different things but you have to find what works for you and what works best for you to keep your sanity mm -hmm. yeah you have to remember how you how you got here if you if your reconstructive journey help happened because you were willing to question things and then not just question mm -hmm. them but intentionally invest in finding answers well then you can't just quit investing in finding answers or in challenging things absolutely you're, you're you'll stagnate you'll go backwards so it's that it's like you said whether it's basic or not it's consistency is choice and consistency is what it boils down to be consistent absolutely. in what you're doing and make the choice to do it and you're going to get there mm -hmm. yeah i think well said sir I think even for for me, one of the you know one of the things that happened to me in in kind of early, I won't say early, but about midway, early in the pandemic, I will say, not early in in the year, but early in the pandemic, um, that's when I, that's when I started to kind of lose sight of why I do podcasting and content creation because I stopped hearing a lot of the feedback that I was used to, and I'm someone who's very feedback driven. And for me, one of the core reasons that I that I do this is is because of the impact that it has on people, like the 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 benefit that it can be for someone else's life. And when I don't feel like that's happening, then it just becomes, you know, routine. And I hate routine on its own, let alone if I can't even see why that routine is worth it. Um, but you know, if even if the basics is so much as that, you know, for me, it, it became a matter of asking outright on one of my shows on absurdity. We we put up a, a page on the on on absurdity for on absurdity's website and literally said, like, look, hey, Tony, Tony's my co-host for that show. Um, we're both exhausted and tired and we could really use some encouragement. Like if there if there's any way that this show has has benefited you or helped you or impacted you, like if you wouldn't mind just writing in, like that would be really helpful to us. And people did. Like that was really helpful for me, uh, turns out. So like yeah. doing anything you can do to get back to those core things. And if it's choices that you need to start making again, because somewhere along the line you you lost the habit, the healthy habits that you had, then by all means do it. Do what it takes to get you back to a place that you can grow from again. I think that that to me is where is where um it, it, to me that's that's where this that's where this kind of lands for me is yeah. figuring out where your core where your foundation is and building from there. Yeah, cuz I mean that's kind of I'm with you Ryan what I was getting out of this this story as well is whether you were 18 and just not satisfied with where you were, you didn't just sit there and go, whatever, can't do anything about it. You were willing to invest. You were like, no, I'm going to pick myself up and go try and find something, even if it's going to these crazy meetings or, you know, whatever. And then you weren't just satisfied, like, okay, I found everything. You were willing to invest again and go, no, I'm going to go overseas and I'm going to try and figure stuff out there. And then when you came back, you didn't just check a box and go, look, see, I found everything there is to know in the world. Where you're like, no, I'm going to go pursue this. I'm going to try pastoring, you know, and then I'm going to go to Mississippi. 
I mean, they kind of chose that probably for you, but the point is I'm willing to go yes. to where, to where they, they choose. And I'm going to go to Mississippi. I was actually really excited about Mississippi. I was like, okay, you know, everybody's laughing, but I'm like, let's go. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you've heard it. There is someone that was excited about going to Mississippi. All right. Anyway. Yes. <laughs> but, but that, sorry to any of our listeners from Mississippi. I, I, I'm sure it's a wonderful place. I, it seems filled with trees every time I pass through it, but whatever. Anyway, trees are nice. So, but you, you picked yourself up and did that. And then you, you pushed through with that. And then with your family, you know, with your relationship, you weren't satisfied. You pushed and invested and went through that. And now even with having a son and dealing with the challenges of 600 member church and, and your wife having health complications from that. And now I've got to have an 18 month old. How do I deal with that? And, oh yeah, I have the 600 other people that say they're on this journey with me, but they don't fully get it. And they all think their problems take priority. And how do you deal with that? And even now you're being honest and like, well, I'm, I'm not content to just leave with that. I'm going to make a choice and I'm going to invest and, and I'm going to find it. You, you, you're refusing to get off of the reconstructive journey. And I yeah. think, and I think maybe that's a, a really good lesson that we haven't necessarily brought out in the other stories that we've, gotten to share in so far is that we've kind of talked about reconstructive, like, look, they went through this and now here they are. And the reconstructive journey, if you ever reach a point where you think you're done, you're going to deconstruct. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And, and, you know, and, and honestly, and, and thank you for Henry. Thank you, Henry, for uh, reiterating all of that. I think uh, a very important portion of reconstructing is being okay with breaking down. Mm-hmm. You know, because um, we see, you know, I, the past couple of years, I've had quite a few meltdowns. I've had quite a few meltdowns, quite a few breakdowns. After every single breakdown, somehow, you know, you always see how God restores you. And then you have another breakdown. And then you find that restoration. You know, as long as you continue seeking, I believe that God does restore you. Um, and you can have your little mini Job experience, and then you can find, you know, um, uh, what do you call it? You can find that comfort later on. It's not like necessarily like God coming, you know, to you and asking 80 rhetorical questions as to, you know, why these things happen. But it's more along the lines of like, dude this is life. Life is hard. Life is hard. You're going to be working with people that are going to get hard. You're going to be in a church that's going to be hard. You're going to be, you know, I mean, looking for paradise here on earth is downright impossible. If you're okay mm-hmm. with life being hard, because life is hard, then, hey, I think that that in itself already changes the point of view of where you're at. And next thing you know, it's like, okay, you know what? This is now my reality. Let's go. You know, breaking down is part of it. And you know what? It's okay. Mm-hmm. It's okay to have meltdowns. It's okay to have a breakdown. It's not okay to stay there. But it's, it's good that because of that, you are able to learn. You're able to actually inspire and bless others. As you know, as you go through this experience itself, so or as they're going also through a similar experience, and to be quite honest with you, it's already kind of happened. And I'm like, okay, this is how the Lord works. He takes our infirmities, and then you know somebody else is going through that, and he's like, you know what? I've been through that. Hey, we can do this, and we can do that. And then next thing you know, you're being a blessing to people, and then that's a blessing to you. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think in my view. Um, the two words I would describe you, one of them I've always used one. I would not have, I don't, I don't think I would have, I think I, I don't think I would have denied it, but I don't think I would have been able to really express why I I felt that way. But the the word I've always used to describe you is humility. Um, I think the second one is tenacity. Um, and the reason I think tenacity is important here is because you, you exhibit a version of tenacity that I think is, is closer to what the everyman version of tenacity, like I don't think if I told you that that I thought you were tenacious, I feel like you would tell me, "No, I'm not." Absolutely. <laughs> um, that's and that's part of the humility, but it's also because you probably don't like. To me, tenacity is getting up every single day and facing whatever you need to face and doing whatever you need to do. And you can only have true tenacity 
if you also have the humility to do what it takes, which in your case is allowing the breakdown, is um, is allowing for therapy and admitting that you need help and can't do it alone. Like all of those things lead into building and, and, and giving someone tenacity. Like I think those two things kind of compound or build on each other in your life and, and have manifested themselves this way. And I'm not saying like you're some perfect guy that's reserved for me. I'm just saying that I think that you have, <laughs> you're welcome for that. Um, but I think those two words would be how I sum all of like, in my view, that's how I view all of this. The humility to accept that you need help and to accept the uglier parts of, of what this is and what, the, what life can look like. Um, and, and, fa and do what it takes and the tenacity to stay kind of motivated and keep your eyes on the prize, so to speak, and, and keep moving forward no matter what. Like to me that, like that for me is inspiring because that's a lot of the, I'm trying to deal with a bunch of health issues and finance issues and just general life stuff. And like that to me, regardless of if any listeners find this beneficial, like to me, that's what your story is a reminder of. And that's something that's, that's been beneficial to me just in the hour that we've been talking. So thank you for sharing your story with us. Praise the Lord. Um, so any, um, any final thoughts that you want to leave people with anything that you would, any final encouragement that you would want to send people off with? Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, you know, know that life, especially as it is right now with this whole pandemic, uh, you know, I don't think life has gotten any easier and it'll continue to get harder and harder as it goes. Um, you know, for me personally, um, obviously our, our relationship with God is so, as cliche as it sounds, it's so important. You know, uh, I have to remind myself that I don't struggle to be good because I know that I'm not good you know, because I am human and I have to remind myself, I don't struggle necessarily to be good. What I struggle is to remain connected with him. And that is something that for me, um, in every situation, especially, you know, with all the responsibilities, you know, dealing with different personalities and everything, you know, I need to be, um, uh, be reminded that, Hey, every person is a child of God. Mm. And when things do get overwhelming, and they get to a point where you're trying to juggle everything. Um, it's important to definitely, number one, take care of yourself. And number two, hey, we're all in this together. Like everybody, <laughs> I don't think there's such a thing as an easy life. This is this, this is just something that we all go through. Uh, going through the fire at the moment that you're going through it, it feels awful, absolutely awful. And most people quit during that time. Um, but then after you come out of the fire, you know, you are a completely different person. You know, like one of my favorite preachers says it this way, you know, there's two types of Christians. You have the wooden Christian, the Christian that's made of wood and the golden Christian. You know, when the, when the wooden Christian goes through the fire, it completely consumes it. And, um, you know, it completely just, you know, vanishes. And then you have the golden Christian that when gold goes through the fire, it, com it comes refined, it comes pure. And so this is, this is really in essence, in my opinion, what Christianity is about. You know, you have, you know, you even, the most perfect example of that is Jesus. You know, when he went through the fire of the cross, but then after that, you know, came really the, uh, and I'm using this word lightly, but it came the ultimate reward. You know, and I'm not saying that, you know, going through the fire, you're going to get a reward because that's not always the case. Um, but what I'm saying is, is that, hey, life is hard. You know, we all suffer and God knows a thing or two about suffering. So he can relate. Awesome. Well, Jaime, thank you um, for coming on, for sharing your story. And um, thank you for the presence you've been in my life as, as a father figure and a mentor to me um, for well over a decade now. Um, and... Um, Henry, anything that you want to say before I kind of close this out? Well, just again, thank you for sharing your story and being willing to be so transparent. And, you know, like Ryan said, to show that humility and tenacity for us and our listeners in this hour. And uh, I, I don't have the relationship with you that Ryan does, obviously. But I know after having this conversation, I'm, I'm very excited, hopefully post-pandemic, uh, to work alongside with you on a couple projects that you're kind of signed up already to do, hopefully up here with us. And I, just, I am hopeful as well. 
Yes. So, but, and just know we, we really appreciate you coming on and we're wishing the best for you, your wife and your little one. I appreciate you too. I appreciate what you're doing. Please keep doing this. Um, I know you're blessing a lot of people. I know that for a fact because you've already blessed me. So, Awesome. Good to know. Um, and thank you for that encouragement. I think both of us plan to keep keep at this, even with the difficult summer and, and kind of late spring that, that it's been for us. But um, uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you for supporting us. And you can find contact info for us down in the show notes. And we will see you on our next episode.